From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic today is trust. The pandemic has taught us many hard lessons, but it also brought us back to talking about humanity in the workplace. How can we best establish trust in the workplace for customers and employees? How much does it cost companies in reputation and market cap when they don't? Two words for you, human experience. My guest is Amelia Dunlop. She is the chief experience officer at Deloitte Digital and leader of the U.S. Customer Strategy and Applied Design Practice for Deloitte Consulting, LLP. Her upcoming book, Elevating the Human Experience, Three Paths to Love and Worth at Work, is available now for pre-order, and it launches in October. Amelia regularly writes and speaks about human experience, creativity, customer strategy, and trust. This episode of Business Lab is produced in association with Deloitte Digital. Welcome, Amelia. Thank you for having me. So I really like this perspective of yours, and I'll quote you right here. We begin and end our days as humans. Amidst uncertainty, organizations need to take steps to become more human themselves. That certainly has been at the forefront of work during the pandemic. Absolutely. So we set this aspiration to elevate the human experience here at Deloitte Digital about three years ago. And since then, we've just been trying to, you know, make it come to life and and mean something for our employees and for our customers. And we realized when the pandemic struck that the whole human experience was shifting uh, in in a time of uncertainty. So we led some research at the time, uh, about 28,000 people uh, across the U.S. There we realized that what businesses most needed to get right was trust, safety, and human connection. And I, I just found that was fascinating, Laurel, because... Even as we found ourselves to be more digitally connected than ever, we were still in need of that human connection, which was grounded in the need for empathy, the need for psychological safety, the need for authenticity, uh, these fundamental drivers of of what it means to elevate the human experience. Yeah, it's funny how all the time online we have spent, how amazing it is to actually be able to be in public with someone else and uh, at work even and have that relationship in person is really something I think folks missed. Like there's one thing to work from home and it's a whole nother thing to not be able to see other people. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people who are the, the extroverts who are, who are languishing, uh, spending my, my day. I, now, I, I sometimes joke, Laurel, now that I'm, I'm a call center operator because we all have the, uh, the, the earbuds in and the, and the mouthpiece in, and we're, we're learning with a great deal of empathy what it's like to talk to our computer for 10 to 12 hours a day. Yeah. Not an easy job. So as you mentioned, part of being human is as how much trust we have in each other. We have these connections at work, et cetera, but also with companies. And and this is another aspect that's been challenged, not just with the pandemic this year, but with other issues like societal disruption and even ethical AI. How important is trust to all of this? Oh, my goodness. You cannot elevate anyone's human experience if they don't trust you, right? So trust is absolutely a sort of foundational And when we conducted the research, we found some things that were kind of startling, perhaps not surprising. Uh, We found that 60% of Americans don't trust each other to social distance. And we found that 
only 4% of us trust businesses when they tell us it's safe to re-enter. You know, it's safe to get back on the airplane. It's safe to return to the hotel. So many of us are navigating requirements for our own business, for our schooling, healthcare, banking. I mean, every time you walk into a store, you need to ask yourself the question, like, what are the, what are the protocols for this particular store? Um, and are we doing the right thing to kind of maintain uh, safety? How do you define human experience? And uh, is it an evolution of customer experience? So maybe I'll take the second part of that first, because we do get that question a lot. So, you know, like the field of customer experience and even employee experience, they've been around for for decades now. What we wanted to do was take more of a human centered design um, perspective. We don't wake up in the morning as a customer of a, of a particularly awesome cup of coffee. <laughs> um, and I didn't wake up this morning as an employee, and I'm sure you didn't either. Uh, we wake up as humans and we show up with all of our messy human-ness uh, when we come to work. And I think what we're trying to do is just acknowledge that he- more human focus really is important in, in the business world. So the definition of elevating the human experience really is about investing in humans and their growth, recognizing their potential uh, through love and worth. Hmm. And how do you actually measure trust? Because at some point you have to be able to quantify this idea trust is is one of those interesting topics right where it's it's earned in drops and lost in buckets i think is the Mm. expression (laughs) i'm not sure who who to attribute that to but that's um, really easy to lose really hard to to gain and there are measures of trust out there 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 are the sort of the barometers of trust which are very kind of rear view mirror looking there are also uh, aspects and measures of trust out there which are sort of, you know, my aspirational future self would recommend, you know, Laurel to uh, uh, to somebody else. But what we wanted to do is ask, is there a way in which we can predict trust uh, and then tie that to organizational performance? Um, and so my colleagues and I um, kind of set out to, to kind of do just that with something we call the HX Trust ID. So human experience, obviously. And what we did is we came up with four different signals of trust that are pretty universal across organizations. The first is capability. Can I actually do the thing that I I said I would do in exchange for your money or time? Reliability. Can I do it consistently when I say that I'm going to? Humanity. um, How do I make you feel when you interact with me? And then transparency. How cleanly and clearly do I communicate with you about whether it's going well or not well? Um, And together, these four signals of trust actually are predictive of future behaviors. Um, and we found that it's actually 74%, which in the field of social sciences is is really huge. You can actually predict to that extent of accuracy is, yeah, amazing, right? Well, the reason we can do it, Laurel, is it's, be- it's based on, on customers and employees' actual behavior. So not what I tell you I'm going to do, but what I've already done. Um, and that's a predictor of what your future behavior will be. Hmm. Which is pretty important when we're talking about businesses getting back to business. Totally. I mean, so one of the things that we realized is that employees who believe their company is humane uh, or has a high kind of humanity score is two and a half times more likely to be motivated to work. That's huge, right? Particularly now as we're facing what's, I think, lovingly being called the great resignation, Mm -hmm. that um, humanity in the workplace um, is so tied to uh, motivation. And A humane workplace is not pool tables and endless snacks necessarily, (laughs) right? Totally agree. There's actually like uh, probably work-life balance, um, not just 
in you know words, but actually leadership following it. Uh, I imagine uh, generous or just having any kind of family leave it all when there's sicknesses or pregnancies, et cetera. Um, so there actually are other measurable, tangible ideas here. So some of the things that we measure in humanity are things like, to what extent do you believe your boss actually cares about you? To what extent do you actually care about your boss? To what extent do you believe that your peers in your organization care about you and vice versa? So we're always looking for that reciprocal uh, relationship and that reciprocal measure of trust with employees. So of those four integrated signals, capability, reliability, humanity, and transparency, which are the most difficult for companies to embrace? And does it vary by industry? So I will start by telling you that all four matter (laughs) Um, and that when you have all four um, and really high composite score, that that's when you're most likely to drive employee behavior, customer behavior uh, and long term loyalty. But we have noticed across different industries that capability can be the highest predictor of loyalty. And that's sort of intuitive. Right. So. If I'm going to give you my money or my time, I want you to cap- you know, to have the ability to capably um, deliver on the thing that you said you were going to, right? I wanted to buy a car, you sold me a car, right? Next up is reliability, that you did it, you know, at the time and place that I that you said you would. Um, so again, those two make sense, I think, kind of across industries. But then we notice that humanity um, and in some cases transparency can be the most difficult to get right, and they are particularly important in the fields of healthcare. Uh, with patients, I mean, obviously, <laughs> um, but also in, in travel and hospitality, uh, that the humanity that we expect um, when we show up at a hotel, we show up at a restaurant, you know, any of the service industries um, really is an important predictor of loyalty. And it's sort of an interesting time to think about that now, because a lot of that trust, which should be reciprocal, perhaps is not being found because travel and hospitality is also relying on their customers to have this kind of humanity as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, like you said before, I feel like we're all in in that, a period of renegotiating. What does it mean to build human connection? What does it mean to trust? What does it mean to feel safe? And it's, it is this great period of uncertainty when we're renegotiating those things on a daily basis. Were there other industries that were particularly high scoring with one of the um, four capabilities? Um, I would say that the uh, the service industries, um, which have a, a longer track record of focusing on things like customer experience, uh, do tend to score higher. Um, some of the industries which are more product centric, more technology centric, more engineering centric, for them, uh, they tend to have uh, lower scores. Right. So how can then trust, we bring this back in, actually affect the profitability of a company? I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate question, right? So I think we can, we can intuitively state that, that trust matters and, and trust builds long-term loyalty. Um, one of the things that we did in our research was we, we did see that those companies, organizations that had the highest trust scores were twice as likely to be resilient in the face of downturn relative to their competitors. And we also know that the companies in a sector that tend to have the highest composite HX trust ID also tend to have the highest total shareholder return. So that's correlation, right? We can't sort of prove causality, but there is definitely an interesting correlation that the most trusted companies are also the most profitable ones. Hmm. I would imagine people would be sitting up and taking great interest at that. I mean, I think we all have to, 
right? Yeah. Because we all uh, are in the business of trying to foster trust uh, with our own employees and with the customers that we serve. Um, and trust is our reputation. Do you have advice or have you seen best practices of, of companies trying to turn that boat around to, to become one of those highly trusted companies? One of the things that we do is we first start with understanding what is uh, an individual organization's actual trust score, right? Broken down by the four signals and then relative to their peer set to understand what's table stakes um, versus what would actually need uh, to be differentiated. And then kind of digging in a little bit deeper, right? So to say, for example, if your relative humanity score is lower, are there specific things you need to be doing to show up authentically with your employees? And I think this connects back to the conversation we we're having earlier about social unrest, uh, a focus on uh, purpose, a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I think a lot of organizations are being taken to task right now to demonstrate their humanity in meaningful ways across those topics. Absolutely. So the other aspect of trust here is how it affects employee satisfaction and motivation. There must be a number of companies actually behaving differently in the light of the pandemic. Some of the things that we look at are on the employee side that um, 48% of employees who highly trust their employer almost never seek outside opportunities. I feel like that's worth repeating, right? So like, again, as we think about a lot of the different, the mobility in the employee uh, workforce these days, if you establish high levels of trust with your employee, they're much more likely to stick, stick with you versus the 66% who don't trust you, they're going to be looking for their next job. So as you've brought all your work together, um, could you tell me more about the research that led to your book, Elevating the Human Experience, Three Paths to Love and Worth at Work? So I guess I should start by saying, Laurel, I wrote this book because I needed it. I needed a book that was equal parts, um, head and heart, uh, I, you know, equal parts, you know, 20 year plus veteran of, of, as a management consultant and mother of three. And so I was really curious about what it meant to show up as fully human in the workplace um, with my authentic self. Uh, and so what I did is I led a study of 6,000 people in the U.S. on the topic of love and worth. And we asked questions about, you know, to what extent do you feel worthy? To what extent does it matter to you to feel worthy? To what extent do you feel like you love yourself? To what extent do you feel like you speak to yourself with kindness? Uh, to what extent do you feel like you are spoken over um, in the workplace, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of the types of questions we wanted to get at to understand the people's experience of love and worth. And obviously, we geeked out across sectors and um, you know, age and, and different demographic indicators. But the thing that we found that was most startling was the fact that nine out of 10 people said it matters to them to feel worthy. But about half say they struggle, sometimes, often, or always, to feel worthy, particularly when they show up at work. That gap between how much it matters to us to feel worthy and how much we struggle to do so is what I call the worthiness gap. Uh, and I wrote about that in the book. Why is it, in general, you know, important to find that worth at work? Well, so I believe, and this is what I shared in my, in my research in the book, that we now spend more time working than any other culture um, and any other time in history. And some of the, um, the data from the uh, independent labor organizations kind of verify that the, you know, the workday is longer, uh, not to mention the fact that what is the, what is the expression that we, we no longer kind of work from home, we live at work? Um, that the days are even longer. And so the amount of social capital that we're getting from our colleagues matters even more. 
And how are we to differentiate between love and worth? Okay. So the way I think about def- defining love is imp- it's important, right? Because I think we have immediate um, thought bubbles that are going to pop up when we, um, when we think, when we hear the word love, particularly in the context of work. So my definition of love, I actually adapted from um, Eric Fromm uh, in his book, The Art of Loving. It was written back in the 1950s, that it really is the will to extend ourselves, to care for ourselves or, or another, uh, to foster their growth. So it's a real growth mindset uh, to say that I care enough about you to invest in your growth, or I care enough about myself to invest in my growth. And so that's the definition of love. And it's really related to the Greek uh, eudaimonia, which is much more akin to flourishing um, as we think about the definition of love. Which is interesting because if you had tried to take a shortcut and instead said growth and worth in the workplace, I think people would have thought you're talking about shares and, and how to get the most out of a startup experience. And, you know, I realized I could have not used the word love. Like I, sometimes people said, well, why don't you just use the word care? Or is there another word that you know might be less provocative? There was part of me that wanted to be deliberately pr- provocative to say that there is, in fact, a role for love in the workplace. And the way it connects to worth is worth can be either intrinsic or extrinsic, right? So there's your extrinsic measures of worth, which is it's your titles, it's your promotions, it's how much you've paid, it's that awesome quarter office. But the intrinsic worth, that's much more about how, how you feel before you, you know, give a presentation or before you get a job promotion. Um, and do you feel like you are enough uh, in, a, in a workplace that's constantly evaluating you? I like that tension because I find that the, the word love did challenge me because I thought, what does that mean, especially in our highly charged um, litigious society? And then I, I came to that same realization that um, not only do you have to love yourself, love your coworkers in that broad sense. It's you're loving the work that you do, which I know is not um, simple for everyone, but the the happiness and the worth, because it's love and worth, um, really do follow through. Sometimes I get asked for examples of, well, what does it mean to, to love your yourself or love your colleagues in the workplace? Uh, and there I just think of, you know, you know, is there any time that you have, you know, s- stayed late, you know, spent that extra two hours to, to teach a perhaps a more junior colleague how to how to do, a, you know, something that they didn't know how to do. Or you gave your time um, to listen to somebody who ha- you know, was facing a challenge in the office. You didn't have to. You didn't have to give your time to, to either of those people. But you did because in some way you cared enough about them and their growth to give of your own time and energy. So could you talk a bit more about those three paths to love and worth in the workplace? Yeah, so as I was wrestling with how do we go on this journey to understanding love and worth in the workplace, I realized that first and foremost, it's a journey of the self. And that uh, for me, it's a very personal one. Uh, So starting to understand what does it mean to love myself uh, and see myself as worthy before I say or do anything. The second path is what I then do to recognize that worth and love another as a colleague, um, as a mentor, a sponsor, or even a benefactor, and to serve as an ally to help them in their career. And then that third path is what you and I can do to help change the systems that we all participate in that can recognize people's fundamental worth. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting thing to think about uh, as a manager and as you participate 
and your team's uh, growth. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, <laughs> as a leader of a division, you oversee a number of people and to keep each of their value in your mind when you speak to them. And as you said, bring your whole self to these conversations and also expecting in kind that kind of response from them. When you do have those, you know, moments that you can spend with someone to talk about their future, talk about the worth, talk about the growth for the company, um, how important it is for you both to have this back and forth to help define what that path is. I love the way you characterize that, Laurel, because I really do believe that there's something about humanizing leadership that I've been thinking a lot about where when we as leaders are willing to make ourselves vulnerable, show up authentically, um, drop the mask, right? The, pro- the professional masks that we all wear, be transparent, you know, demonstrate that we care, all these signals um, that foster trust. Then, then what I've noticed is we get it back. There's a sort of, it, um, it, there's a sort of reciprocal equation where when we humanize ourselves as leaders, our employees are much more likely to humanize themselves. Uh, and that's what creates um, a, you know, a, a more positive human experience in the workplace. Mm. And it certainly does have um, ongoing effects. Like you can feel it in your team and across your department. Like it's, it's not just one drop in the pond. It's definitely a ripple. I think about the fact that um, you know when you feel loved, right? You don't have to explain it, describe it. Right? It's it's a it, it very much is a feeling um, when you feel supported at the workplace, when you feel loved and cared for. Um, it's just something that you know. So this may we may have covered this already, actually. But when you do hold these principles in your mind, how have they made a difference with your team and with a client? Because I'm assuming everyone's expecting you to, especially, to walk the walk. <laughs> yes. So one of the things that I found is as soon as you put your, you know, you declare the aspiration to elevate the human experience, you, you will get back the, hmm, this pricing review did not elevate my human experience. <laughs> so it does. It does put um, a high bar out there. And I'm okay with that, right? Because again, part of humanizing ourselves is acknowledging we're not perfect, right? So recognizing that not, that not everything is going to elevate your experience, you know, in this particular, you know, pricing approval call or review of, of the quarterly results call. But that being said, um, it does allow for an intentionality where we do ask ourselves, what can we do to elevate the experience of this particular call, of, of this town hall, of this particular meeting? Um, and we've just put in, we've tried new things. And so I would, I would definitely encourage your listeners to say there is no one way to elevate the human experience authentically, um, but to experiment. And this is where the innovator in me uh, kind of comes out, where we just tried different things. One of my favorites is, in the midst of the pandemic, um, I would say it was about January of last year, where we'd all been, you know, been at it for about 10 months of quarantine. Um, it was kind of, I live in Boston, uh, you know, particularly gray and snowy days. Wednesdays I found to be the hardest. Um, and it was just the hardest to kind of summon yourself to kind of go through yet another day of Zoom. And so I started something called um, uh, Joy Days. You know, Wednesdays are now Joy Days on our team. And every Wednesday, I'll send a note out to my entire practice with the things that brought me joy that week. And then I encourage the team to write in with what brings them joy. And it's just been such an awesome way to both connect with our team as humans, but also to remind ourselves that we can cultivate joy. And even if if there were weeks where sometimes the notes were about cultivating joy because you know, I bought my kids a packet of, of M&Ms and gave it to them while they were in, uh, in their own respective Zoom schooling. 
but it was a small ways of connecting these small ways of, of you know, reminding ourselves that we can bring joy that have made a big difference, but for, on, for our employee side. And then I would say on the client side, first of all, you know, as you can probably tell, I believe clients are humans too. Um, so any way in which we can kind of treat our customers or clients as human, I think matters. But I've definitely had the experience where, you know, in competitive bids, competitive situations, clients have told us that we show up with equal parts EQ and IQ. And that's what made the difference for them. That's a huge, not just compliment, but a practice that has to happen throughout the entire team. And that really does make a difference. Well, one of the things I like to say is that this is the kind of world I want to live in. It's a type of organization I want to be a part of. I want to be a leader. as, And, and so why not uh, try to be uh, this sort of positive uh, influence for what, what better might look like? So why, other than the pandemic, are these topics like so important right now? I believe that these topics are so important right now because we're seeing what I would describe as related topics, uh, social unrest and the, the focus on Me Too, diversity, equity, inclusion. We're seeing the conversations around well-being, the topics of burnout. We're seeing the focus on purpose and um, social justice as almost as though they're unrelated topics. But from my perspective, they all add up to the fact that we are demanding of our organizations that we be seen as fully human, whether we are an employee or a customer. Uh, so I think now uh, that the pandemic has just accelerated that that desire that we uh, we want greater humanity from the organizations that we're going to give our time and our money to. I'm behind that 100 percent. And I would say today's conversation has been a highlight of joy in my week. So thank you very much, Amelia. <laughs> Awesome. I will add it to my joy list for the week. (laughs) That was Amelia Dunlop, Chief Experience Officer at Deloitte Digital, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the Director of Insights, the Custom Publishing Division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and you can find us in print, on the web, and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. The show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, We hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Collective Next. Thanks for listening.